Hi, and welcome to The Backlot, a discussion with the entertainment industry's top talent. I'm Eric Connor. And I'm Ariel Seagard. And recently we were fortunate enough to have Anna Cerner come and speak with our students. She is the chief executive of the Swedish Film Institute. And instead of just focusing on her time as an executive or financier, Ms. Cerner discussed her experiences dealing with gender inequality in the entertainment industry. An all-too-timely topic. And we're taking her lead by focusing this episode on this exact subject. This episode's going to be a little bit different. Instead of coming in and doing a Q&A for our students, she actually did a lecture. So we're going to take pieces of her lecture and talk about them as we go. Before she was an entertainment maverick, she was actually an entertainment lawyer. And then once she got her position with the Swedish Film Institute, she made a strong choice about where to focus her energy. Which was to help ensure that female filmmakers get the same opportunities as their male counterparts. Which was great because all over the world, different film entities started taking her lead on that. But being one of the first on that hill made for a very difficult battle. I was working as the lawyer at the Swedish Advertising Association and then I got appointed to be the CEO and I learned from my predecessor who uh, left the job uh, and he said when I got appointed he said you know maybe this will work you're a bit of a captain girl but I can tell you never talk about gender inequality because you know you will just be considered a whining bitch if you do that. And I said, uh, wise as I was, oh yes, I won't. And I realized already from the beginning that that won't happen. Because I realized as well that life isn't really fair and the gender inequality isn't really justice. And I knew that already from the beginning, but uh, it's not that the men aren't good. It's just that they don't even have to perform as well as women do. And that is a knowledge that if you know that, you can actually have another strategy. And want to say from the beginning, this is not against men. It's just for us all to understand that we are sort of all in the same race. And what really matters for you guys is uh, quality. Right? You want to be the best cinematographer. You want to be the best screenwriter. You don't want to be a male screenwriter or a female screenwriter. You just want to do your profession. Ms. Cerner reminded our students that equality actually begins at the hiring process, that everyone should be on the same footing at the get go. Even if that means you got to use carpeting to ensure the footing's the exact same. It will make sense in a moment, I promise. I just want to share with you so you understand really what it's all about is a research that was made in Boston. This was in the end of 1990s and the Boston Symphony Orchestra, which was very white and male, they wanted to change that so they wanted female musicians. So what they did, they made the audition anonymously. So the musician came in on stage behind a curtain and the jury was sitting like you and the musicians came in and they played their little part, whatever it was, and they went out again one by one. And then in the end, the jury picked the best and they picked more men, which was very disappointing for everyone. And you can always try to find arguments of why 
Is that happening? In gender research, there are always two kinds of answers. The one answer is the biological, that men actually are more uh, biologically prepared to do things, like running, for instance. But in this case, it would be like, uh, do the men have another DNA so they are, have a more musical sense? Or you can have the social construction answer, which means that women don't get to practice as much because they take care of the family and they go home and they take care of your children. And that would be very logical because then they don't get to practice as much as the men and they won't be as good as the men. But before doing that, the Boston Symphony Orchestra did the audition once again. So they made the musician walk in once again. This time they put a thick carpet on the floor and the musicians came in, the same musicians, they played the same songs. And this time the jury picked 50-50 because they couldn't hear the steps. So they couldn't determine what kind of expectations they were having. So for the first time, they weren't biased. For the first time, they actually listened to the music. And suddenly the quality was not within a gender, the quality was within the individuals. So it's almost like the show The Voice. Right, except uh, if you wear high heels, the judges might not even turn their chairs. That's right, but see, the battle for equality doesn't stop right there. I mean, even if you get past the heels on the floor stage, you still have to battle it once you get hired. Which Ms. Cerner explained to our students, like when they get out of film school and they're looking to break into their respective industries. In many film schools, the students that are admitted, it's 50-50. But then they come out and suddenly they aren't good enough. So for me, that is just not okay. And I realized that I had to do something about that. When I was appointed the CEO of the Swedish Advertising Association, I was called up by a reporter of the trade press in Sweden of advertisement. And he had got hold of our survey of payments. In the survey, you could easily read that women earned less than the men on their similar positions. In the same cities, whatever, similar positions, less pay. Uh, so he called me up, and I had had no media training by that time. So I answered him very honestly because he asked me, so Anna, what do you say about this? I said, yeah, you know, that's really shitty, but that is life. Uh, that's how it is all over the place. It's not like only the advertising business. And then we had a good talk for half an hour, and I thought, wow, I really taught him a lot about life and being a woman. <laughs> and I didn't realize what I was doing, uh, but then I came back. Two days later, I could see the front page of all these papers. It was a big picture of me with the headline, It's shitty, says Anna Cerner. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my chairman called me up and he was like, well, that wasn't a very good idea, Anna. And I was like, yeah, but, uh, you know, I didn't know. <laughs> but that made me the spokesperson for these issues. Because, first of all, there are not a lot of women in leading positions. And secondly, they never talk about gender equality. Or they never used to, anyways. So, I was kind of the first one that actually talked about it. And being the only one getting all the calls, I got really tired of talking and talking and nothing, of course, happened. 
So I decided to stop talk and start do. So we could at least try something and then we can talk about what we are doing and maybe it leads to change. And if it doesn't, we didn't lose anything more than my job, which uh, I realized that that could be the case. Ms. Cerner appreciates that it was this gender inequality that might have actually gotten her job in the first place. Even if her male coworker didn't want to admit it. You know, as well as being a woman, of course, in a position of being the uh, association person, it's usually men that have done their career. And then they are sort of kicked aside because they're getting too old. And then they become the association's CEO. So picking me, a young woman, of course it was because I had a law degree, I knew something that they didn't, but I was a woman. So that was, of course, a PR trick, which I realized. And uh, I told my chairman, so I realized why you pick me. Of course, it's because I'm really great, but Mm -hmm. as well because I'm a woman. I said, oh, no, we would never do that. No quota. But then, of course, he was lying because there was one woman in the board and I asked her and she said, yeah, of course, that's a good PR trick. (laughs) Uh, So, of course, I was. And that's totally okay for me to be that way. But then when I was going into my other jobs, I actually told my chairman, if you don't want me to talk about gender equality, then you shouldn't appoint me because I will never stop doing that. So I got appointed anyways to the two jobs I've had. Both times the chairman have always male chairman. They said, yeah, 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 now you keep on doing. Uh, it's it's fine because they didn't realize what that doing was because I can tell you there's always a lot of fuss around that doing. So much fuss that I actually got appointed. This is a Swedish expression, so it's pretty hard to translate, but more or less 2011 most troublemaker, female troublemaker in Sweden. <laughs> and that was supposed to be a compliment because being a troublemaker, that means that you are innovative and you're creative and you're doing smart things. But for me, it has been both a burden and uh, something people Google up. So they're like, are you a troublemaker, Anna? No, 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 you know, that was just a, a title. In this country, troublemaker isn't necessarily viewed as a compliment. Well, Anna Cerner seems to wear it like a badge of honor. Even when she tries to keep her feelings and motivations under wraps, her inner troublemaker sometimes rears its head. Having been the spokesperson, I needed to keep on speaking. And I realized this is no different from other worlds. I just need to keep on doing and not only talking, but I just didn't realize what to do, actually because you don't know a business, so you really don't know where where are the glass ceilings and what are the obstacles. I had a pretty good idea what I wanted to do, but I felt to not be the troublemaker, stay a little bit calm here, Anna, and shut your mouth for a while. So uh, I said I will do that, shut my mouth for six months and learn the business. But it took me like six weeks to realize it was exactly the same thing. Because then I went to uh, Amsterdam, where the world's greatest uh, international documentary film festival is, where you pitch for money. There were like 40 financiers, and uh, we are there to listen to see what's in pipeline and what will come in a couple of years. 
And how you do it, you get 15 min minutes each. It's five minutes presentation, five minutes showing some screens, and five minutes Q&A. So uh, I was sitting there, and the first day, no woman at all which I thought was a little bit weird, and everyone said around me, yeah, but you know, that's how it is. But then the second day, things started to change. And what happened first was very interesting. It was a, a Finnish guy, and I don't know if you know Finnish people, but they aren't the best in English. <laughs> and uh, he came up, and it was just, I didn't get anything. And then the question time was, and I was like, what are they going to ask for questions? And I, actually, the first guy raising his hand, and I, actually it was uh, Nick Fraser from BBC, who is the most important financer. So uh, this uh, guy raises his hand and he said, I didn't get anything. And everyone was like, yeah, you realize no one did. But then he said, but I know you and you made your last film and that was great. So, of course, I trust you. So I'm in. And then the other started raising their hands and they were in too. It's the followers coming along. And then the next presentation was the first female presentation. It was a, a female Chilean film director with her female producer. She was so well prepared. I mean, she's like any other women. And she had, as well, like the Finnish guy, had made one very successful documentary before, traveling around the world, so that was exactly the same. But she really came up and she made this fantastic presentation about the film she was making about her grandmother in Chile. So she described these characters that have, some had lost their husbands in the revolution and one was very Catholic and had a lot of children. One was very promiscuous, no children. And, you know, <laughs> she had a lot of description that was fantastic. And it was just, uh, yeah, you know, five minutes. And then the question time was, and it was totally silent. And I thought that was the best project for the whole two days. But no questions first. And then this guy raises his hand and he said, what is this film about? He said, what is this film about? This is about Chile going from dictatorship into democracy. This is about a lot of people's family life that, you know, what is this film about? And then he said, well, you know, you have only made one film before. Why should I trust you? I'm not in. She didn't get any money. And that is actually exactly what happens, that men are picked of their potential and women of their experience. And in this case, both had exactly the same experience and exactly as successful, but the man was picked because you had the trust. So I was so upset. I went back home, this was in November, and in January we had a presentation of that year's premieres of Swedish films on cinema. And I was called up by the media, this time a little bit more media trained, and uh, the public service radio comes to me and says, so what do you say, Anna Cerner? And this time I was like, I say it's a catastrophe. <laughs> and the next day, headline, big picture, Anna Cerner, it's a catastrophe, says Anna Cerner. And I got the message out, which was exactly what I wanted. Miss Cerner and her team created this database of women in film. It was supposed to be a joint effort with other Nordic countries. 
But when it came down to it, it was really only the Swedish Film Institute that was on board. So we launched a website, which is nordicwomeninfilm.com, where we searched for every female filmmaker since film started in 1895. It's 700 of them. It's the cinematographers, screenwriters, editors, directors and producers that we have been able to find. It was supposed to be a Nordic joint venture and the other Nordic friends of mine, they all withdrew and said, no, it's not a priority for us any longer. So now it's a Nordic women in film, but it's really only Swedish. But we believe that with the attention this gets, they won't be able to stay out of it too long. When we launched it the last weekend, we filled the houses. We have two cinemas. One is with 360 seats and the other one with 120. And we had to open up both of them and stream what happened on stage because it was such an interest. Because suddenly, things has become hot. Film execs are not often treated like celebrities, like Beyonce or Adele. But the more Anna Cerner's cause was reaching the public, the more her life has been transformed. And if Meryl Streep knows who you are, you're doing something right. Walking on the streets in Cannes, as I've been the troublemaker, I'm sort of used to, you know, the bitch comes along and uh, suddenly this woman comes up to me in the street and she says, do you want to take a selfie? <laughs> and I was like, why would I want to take a selfie? Because you're Anna Cerner. <laughs> I had become a rock star. <laughs> and I was like, why is this? Another guy, he said to a woman who is the producer of Timbuktu, a beautiful film. But he says to her, hey, you have to come and meet Anna Cerner. And I was like, when did this happen? And then I realized it happened last year in the Oscars when Kate Blanchett went up and started talking about how it is being a woman. And then Emma Watson and Meryl Streep and Gina Davis been working for a long time. And I got a, an email from Meryl Streep last week. I'm so sorry, Anna, I just can't show up. We are having a sem seminar. It's like, I'm getting a mail from Meryl Streep. <laughs> because what happened was when these red carpet people started talking, media's attention, of course, got very alert. And they were like, oh, sh this is shitty probably. But isn't there anywhere in the world that's where things has happened? And they're like, oh, yeah, in Sweden, there's an Anna Cerner. Let's talk to her. <laughs> so suddenly, that's my life now. I go in, in, like, in film festivals, and the applause for me is, like, it's almost embarrassing. But it's really because we are the only ones that have been able to do things. And that is, of course, very exciting, but as well kind of demanding, of course, because we're being the role models, but that's as well why I'm here, because I like that we can show that you can do things. It's worthwhile working for it. A recent social media trend has been Female Filmmaker Friday. Directors, DPs, etc. have been posting pictures of themselves on set as a reminder that the best way to encourage others to dream of being a filmmaker is showing examples that it's actually not just a dream. And this has been one of Ms. Cerner's tenets. She stressed that one of the biggest obstacles facing female filmmakers is how others react to their dreams of becoming filmmakers and why men are never asked, what about your children? We all know young women have as many dreams as young men. Something happened during the way. 
So what we did, we did studies uh, in pre-film schools and on-film schools, and it turned out that the women used to want to become film directors, but when they said so, the reaction from the surrounding was, do you want to become a film director? Are you sure? I know you know how competitive it is. It's so hard. And how are you going to combine it with a family? And you know you will have to work day and night for months. And you will not be able to have children. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> While when a young man says the same thing, the reaction is, wow, you want to become a film director? Are you sure it's really competitive? But what the hell, you can do it. What do you have to lose? Just go out there. You're talented. You're good. So if you get to hear that all the time, of course, the, w the young women, they didn't even think there was an opportunity or possibility for them to become film directors. So pragmatic as you are, they just decided to do something else. Like me, I skipped the film business and went into law school because I realized I won't be able to do films. While the men, they just get to hear, you're great, go do it. And that's why I really want to encourage the women to realize that you have exactly the same competence. But producers come to me, male and female producers come to me and they say, you know, Anna, it's only young men coming up showing their portfolios. They knock on my door and I never met them and they are so courageous and they really want and never women do. And it's like, yeah, that's probably true. But if you want the best films, you should probably still start looking for the women and not be so lazy sitting and waiting for them because otherwise you won't get the best ones. Because otherwise you will just have to get the ones that actually had the possibility to move their legs and that's not good enough. Then, then the producer gets really mad with me actually. <laughs> but that's the truth. One of the reasons why change can be so slow is because those with power are not so keen about letting that power go. Those in power have no desire to see change. In Sweden, and I would say the rest of the Western world, that used to be white men. Some white women as well, and no one of those wants to see change because they know, or really, they knew how business was run, they knew how to get our money, and suddenly they don't know it any longer. So those ones, they are not very happy with me. Then within the other ones, it's the men who are few geniuses, and they, they love what I'm doing. And they are like, yeah, Anna, you keep on doing, because they know it will never affect them, because they believe that they will still get the money. And so far they will, but they will have to really perform every time. Ironically, during the earliest days of cinema, there were several powerful women behind the scenes. But that was before movies became a multi-billion dollar global empire. In the beginning of the film's history, the men were doing the camera and the lightning, and the women were doing that soft, people-y stuff directing and writing. When they started was the women doing directing. So we all learned that the first narrative feature film was made by Griffith, A Birth of a Nation, which is not true. It was Lois Weber. She was a woman. 
she's made a hundred narratives. Nobody knows about her. The thing changed when the money came into the business. When the East Coast capitalists came in, then the women were out from directing because suddenly you realized, who's the boss here? It's not the lightning guy. So uh, then women were really in majority before that, which is so interesting. And now they're carrying very heavy, but still clothes because that's so soft. Ms. Cerner realized that she needed to directly educate people about this troubling trend in gender equality. So she found a sly way of hooking a potential disinterested crowd by lying. Well, maybe we should put a disclaimer here. Lying is usually bad. I mean, if you're going to lie, might as well lie well and for a good cause. The results of her lie are undeniable. Uh, by the way, this story she tells may be a little long, but it is worth it. In Sweden, we have one week a year in the summertime, all politicians, all important people in NGOs or other organizations go to a small island and they are together for a week and giving each other seminars. So there are like 3,500 seminars for free during one week to 10,000 people. So if you are unlucky, you get three persons. But if you don't tell them it's about gender equality, you may get more. Because what I always know is that usually it's like 80, 90% women, and they are always the women that already knows what I'm talking about. And they are the one that wants this. So it's not that I'm changing the world when I speak to them. So I decided to lie. And my organization, they are very sincere. They were like, we, Anna, we have to tell people what they will go to see. And I said, no, because if we do that, they won't come. <laughs> so we invited people to come to see commercials during history that meant we needed political actions. So that's what we named it. And we did pick out commercials. And in Sweden, you may think we're crazy, but people love good commercials. So we always fill our theaters when we show commercials. So I knew we would fill a house. It was packed, 350 people, every seat was taken. And we showed commercials from the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and always with a woman as they always were, and unfortunately still very often are, an objectified woman, either really stupid or really pretty and sexy or whatever, but not a protagonist, really. So the first commercial, everyone was very happy, and they were applauding, and everything was great. And then the third commercial, you could sense that they knew, this is fishy. <laughs> People were like, yeah, what is this? And then I went up on stage and I said, I'm sorry, this is a coup, and you're taking hostage, because if I had told you, you wouldn't have been here, and we can all agree that this yeah. doesn't work. And everyone was like, no, it doesn't work. Yeah, so okay, so I, we decided at the Swedish Film Institute, we decided to change things. So we made an action plan. You, we all know if you want to do changes, you have to set a target, you have to choose a strategy, you have to have a budget, and you have to have some time. And that's how you do change in any matters. So this is how we do change. And then I talked about it, and then I said, so let's hear what are you guys doing? And they didn't do anything, of course. They were all talking. Yeah, we are talking about this. We're doing this study, but they're not really doing things. And then I had some male friends. They were really mad with me. Coming afterwards, I said, I would have come, Anna. Well, would you really? 
And I was like, no, maybe not. But the good thing was, this will get out and get spread. But I didn't realize how much it would because the news got hold of it and really the coup rather than the gender equality plan, but the coup was named the hottest media coup in this place. So all the media, <laughs> it was spread in all Swedish newspapers the next day. So from July 3rd, 2012, no one could escape that the Swedish Film Institute wanted to make change. And suddenly, because here they said, but there aren't any competent female directors and they don't apply. Well, yeah, if you have no expectation to get money, why bother applying? But suddenly everyone realized you have expectations and it's actually possible. So suddenly the increase of application with women in them uh, was enormous. So in 2013, we funded... 35% female directors. And then 2014, we funded 50%, and 2015, 38%, which aggregates to 44%, which I think is pretty okay. <laughs> and still, the private sector, 14%. Uh, in, the, in Hollywood, I think it's 8% female directors. So, I mean, we're a little bit better, not much. Producers, though, that's the next female occupation. So the salaries will go down. <laughs> no, we hope not. But this is really what happened. And then the interesting thing is, did we lose quality? And I wouldn't say that if I didn't know the answer, of course. So this is uh, what happened. These are the effects. For narratives, 60% of all awards in our Oscar award were handed out to women directing, screenwriting, or producing. 40% of all awards in the six top international film festivals. And you know that just getting selected is very hard. And we could get the statistics going our side by picking festivals. You know, there are 10,000 of festivals all over the place. Those ones aren't hard to get into. It's You have to measure the top ones. So this is... Berlinale, Cannes, Toronto, Venice, Sundance, and IDFA. And women got 40% of all the awards in, in those. Berlinale, 2015, we had seven films. 71% mm -hmm. were women. And there was, we had a, a joint thing with Canada, Sweden, Norway, and Finland, I think. And we made a selection of seven short films. Sweden got almost half of those, three. They were all women. And I'm sure that the biology of the Swedish uh, women aren't different from the other countries. It's just that their funding system is not appreciating or finding quality. Another reason change can be slow is that people in charge will oftentimes replace themselves with people just like themselves. So an older man replaces himself with just a younger man and so on, and so on. What the men are doing is called homosociality, which means that they relate to each other and they are the same, so they sort of fall in love with each other and they pick their crown prince. And there's really a lot of studies regarding that, so it's a fact. And the women, of course, realize that there is the power, so women get heterosocialized. They try to find the power with a man 
And some women's strategy for that is pretending they are men. There are a lot of pretended men out there, and I don't know about here, but in Sweden, the, the women in leading positions, they never talk about gender equality because they say, there is no problem, look at me. It went well for me, and they just forgot that they were 4%. Sweden is much worse in leading positions in the corporate business. There we have 4% women in leading positions in the top 200 companies, which is crazy. And we have the maternity leave, which is great that we get 18 months and 12 months of them are paid, but it means that women falls out of the system. So what we need to realize and get to know, for me it has been really, really helpful as a woman to learn about how this structure is. Because then you can have a strategy. There are different kinds of how women are supposed, we are the iron ladies. I'm usually, yeah, you are so hard, Anna. I'm a more of a, the Thatcher woman. And then you have the mascot who is the uh, cute girl who is always, you know, working like that. So we can, as women, realize that that is the roles we get, and then we can play along, but under control. And then to realize that we will never be a man, even though we are in those rooms, but we are never men. And I think that men, it's not like they are aware of what they're doing. It's just the way that they are brought up as well. So they need, of course, education. Ms. Cerner is not slowing down in her ambitions, pushing for full equality within two years. There is a women in film and television in Sweden. They just made a survey uh, of the films that had premiere in 2014 to see what changes or differences there were. And it was obvious that when it was female directors, there was there were more usual that they were, they all passed the Bechdel test, but then there were a female cinematographer and the whole crew went more gender equal. So in our next gender action plan, our new tagline, which is very catchy, we think, it's by 50-50 by 2020. Nice. And that means 50-50 behind the camera and 50-50 in front of the camera That's because it, they go together. The past year has seen massive shifts in Hollywood, from the Me Too movement to the record-setting opening of Black Panther. Diversity of storytellers also brings with it a diversity of stories. And the audience is there. Just ask the Justice League, who as a team made $150 million less than Wonder Woman did all by herself. It's giving storytellers the chance, without premeditated assumptions, about who they are and what their stories may be. And Hollywood could use a lot more troublemakers like Anna Cerner. We want to thank her for talking so passionately with our students. And we want to thank all of you for so passionately listening. This episode was written by me, Eric Connor, based on the lecture given by Anna Cerner. This episode was hosted with me, Ariel Seagard, edited and mixed by Christian Hayden. Our creative director is David Andrew Nelson, who also produced this episode with Christian Hayden and myself. Executive produced by Toba Leiter, Sean Sherlock, and Dan Mackler. Special thanks to our events department, Saja Johnson, and the staff and crew who made this possible. To learn more about our programs, check us out at nyfa.edu. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you, See you next time. time.